What's going on, everybody, and welcome to episode 23 of the Did You Hear podcast, part of the Blue Wire Hustle podcast network. I'm Emma Houghton, he's Pat Zhang, and we are joined today by our first recurring guest, Greg Welsh. Greg, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. Uh, happy to get on here again with you guys. Had a lot of fun the first time around, so couldn't wait to uh, get back at it. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you on. Thanks for coming back. We had we had football season then, Masters week now, recapping college basketball. Before we get into that, Pat and I have two big announcements. The first is that as we as we speak, basically today, Tuesday night, Pat and I surpassed two thousand downloads Woo. for the podcast. We literally could not be happier. It is so surreal to us when we reached one thousand. It was months before we expected two thousand months before we expected. So we really just wanted to thank every single person who has downloaded our stuff, mm-hmm. who has followed us on social media, who has supported us the entire way. We appreciate it so, so, so much. Yeah, I think Emma put it perfectly there. But thank you to everyone that has downloaded, that has listened so far. We are so excited to have you on with this journey with us and we'll keep on going. Yeah. So that being said, I, I'm going to save our second announcement for the end, I think, I like because it. this one That's is super exciting. Before we get into the actual content, though. I'll just go through quickly our new follows of the week. We had the unpopular podcast, Tony Gaza, C2 Sports Podcast, the same old sports podcast, review and preview, Jared Gorberino, Ken Zhang, another Zhang family member. They are showing out for us. I'm so proud of the Zhang clan. Thank you so much, Uncle Ken. (laughs) And the Backshop Pod, along with Journalistic Integrity. So thank you so much for all those follows. We also had one new review on Apple Podcasts from Kumakori. Thank you so much for that. And once again, if you want to get in on the action, throw us a follow on either Instagram or Twitter, and we'll shout you out on the pod. And if you leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, throw your name in that review so we can reach out to you. We'll shout you out, and you have a chance to pick our next best of segment and we have our guest greg welsh will pick the best of segment today because he was the first ever person to leave us a review so get in on that action and thank you for everybody who is taking this journey with us we appreciate it absolutely exciting times both in the sports world and for our show exactly all right so talking about exciting times we have a national champion I think all three of us were wrong. I know that I was wrong. I know that Pat was wrong. I'm 99% sure Greg was wrong. Yep, yep. And the Baylor Bears are the national champions. They beat the undefeated Gonzaga Bulldogs 86-70 to on Monday night. Greg, let's just – let's kind of take it out to the drawing board so general. What were your immediate impressions from this game and what you saw from Scott Drew and Baylor? Well, you know, for one, I mean, I was really uh, the the anticipation was building for this mm. game. You know, this is the game everyone wanted to see all year. Gonzaga Baylor, they were supposed to play during the regular season. Game ended up being canceled that same day because of uh, COVID testing. Yeah. Um, I think positive. I forget if it was within Gonzaga or Baylor, but um, so everyone was waiting on this matchup, and I and I really did think um, it was going to be. It could have been a national championship game for, for the ages, but, uh, uh, it was for one team, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. Baylor absolutely played unbelievable. Um, but I certainly was hoping, hoping for a little more drama, uh, just as a, from a fan standpoint. Yeah. 
Yeah, that, that's totally fair. And I, I think you're right, Greg, and talking about how anticipated this matchup was. We were hoping for it all season long. I think it was very clear these were the the top two teams in basketball this entire season. I absolutely believed Gonzaga was going to win. I've been saying it since November. So I can say I was certainly surprised with how things turned out. Uh, it, going to the matchup as well, I believe this was the first time that number one versus number two in the seeding played since 2005 in a national mm-hmm. title game. So it kind of showed how how strong of a competition we, we had here. And then we'll, we'll get into it more specifically, but initial reaction was just that Baylor just punched them in the mouth from the start and continued to do yeah. so. And, and Gonzaga wasn't able to get up from it. Yeah, That's exactly that what, kind of, well, go ahead, Greg. I was just going to say that kind of was, um, you know, what Baylor did um, throughout the tournament, especially in mm-hmm. the, the last two games in the final four, they have, they jumped right on Houston right away, um, built up a lead that was pretty much insurmountable. And they did the same thing. Against Gonzaga, they, they built up that lead to, I think, 19 points in the first half. Gonzaga did cut it to 10 at halftime, and then and it looked like, you know, they had some momentum. I thought if they were, were able to get it to single digits by halftime, they would have a good chance at coming back. They pretty much did that, got it to 10. But then the second half kind of began much like the first with Baylor on a run, and, and uh, Gonzaga really was never, never able to get closer uh, to then, I think, 9 or 10 points. Mm. Yeah, I truly thought they were going to do it until we got to about the three minute mark in the second half. And it was still 13 or 14 points. And I was like, oh, my God, they're actually going to lose. <laughs> I, I did not believe it until it was that close to the end. And there was the, the flagler three that went in that everybody was talking about being the quote unquote dagger. And there was a shot that Corey Kispert didn't take an open three that I really think change the tide a bit but just to push back about something you just said Greg I actually don't think this is the Baylor we saw early in the tournament this is only the Baylor we yeah just the just the last two games because when Nova played them they were a completely different team actually from the second half of the Villanova game on Hmm. that was the Baylor that we saw two nights ago and they really Corey Kispert said in his post-game interview Baylor punched them in the mouth. That is exactly what they did. Nobody expected them to come out to such of a hot start. But let's talk about Pat. You kind of foreshadowed about some of the some of the nitty gritty stuff. Mm-hmm. The thing that I want people to remember, along with the Final Four game for the ages, that should have been the action that we saw in this <laughs> national championship game between UCLA and Gonzaga. Jalen Suggs had twenty two points. Corey Kispert had 12 points. Drew Timmy had 12 points. Gonzaga shot 50% from the yep, field. That's the big they one. They did not choke this game away. They were outplayed. And I I listened back to our Villanova Baylor recap episode today, Pat, because I wanted to remember what we said because I think it's so similar. Baylor was just the better team. They mm. outplayed Gonzaga. They forced Gonzaga to make mistakes. And that's why Gonzaga looked so different than they had all season long because Baylor was so unbelievably good. I love that you said that because it's something I wanted to get into a little bit later about, you've seen a lot of takes today about, oh, how this Gonzaga team has been overrated and that, that they weren't as good as come. Makes me so mad. It, 
like, what are you watching? Is, yeah. is my response. If that's the the opinion that you come to, this Gonzaga team is so great. What what Baylor did here was that for the first time this year for Gonzaga, they made them uncomfortable. They their defense. They were Davion Mitchell is incredible, and mm-hmm. honestly, I think should have been named pl- uh, most outstanding player. I know it went to Jared Butler, who was fantastic as well, but. Wow, Davion Mitchell. I was kind of surprised it didn't way. go to yes. Mitchell too. I, say, yeah. I know I know you are a fan of his as well. But defensively, yeah. I mean, we saw a Baylor swarm to the ball. They keyed in on Drew Timmy. Timmy is used to being able to get those little slip screens and get to the basket. And while he was able to do it a little bit, Baylor really made sure he wasn't able to do so. And then where they killed them, where they killed them, this game was on the boards. I mean, look at the rebounding difference. Baylor had 38, Gonzaga had 22. Baylor had 16, that is not a typo, 16 offensive rebounds. And punched them in the mouth. They made them. Gonzaga is one of the most talented teams we've ever seen, but Gonzaga is a finesse team. That's not an insult to them. Mm -hmm. They're a finesse team and Baylor overpowered them. I think people, I I think people are forgetting how, how well offensively Gonzaga still played. And those, those, Board numbers are exactly I wanted what I wanted to talk about because the first possession of the game, mm-hmm. Mark Vital had two offensive rebounds. <laughs> that was not the way Gonzaga wanted to start it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's definitely like a, a great point. I think Gonzaga, um, you know, play just of no fault of their own. I mean, obviously they had some tough opponents early, but their whole conference schedule, they're not playing teams as big or as physical or as fast as Baylor and mm. um, and that I think, you know, it, that it, it almost took them by surprise a little bit out of the gates, um, which is part of the reason they were able to build up that big lead. And I think another, another great uh, point you made, Pat, is the, the, the job Baylor was able to do defensively. Um, I think really one of the big, the big reasons they were, they were able to hold Gonzaga in check so well is, you noticed how much they were pressing their defense outward sure. um, on the perimeter. They're, they're very aggressive defensively, like, um, and we're putting a lot of pressure on the ball, had, had their defense pushed out towards the three-point line, and we're kind of just in your face, go by us if you can. Um, <laughs> and they couldn't. But, and they couldn't, because they're, they're just the level of physicality and the intensity of, of the defense. I think it's, it's actually um, something that Villanova – uh, going talking about Villanova is that something they've struggled with for the past few years is when teams take away that three point line, they step, they push their defense out to the three point line and make you, you know, get in dribble past them of, off the drive or in order to get the ball inside. And, and I think we saw that same kind of thing affect um, Gonzaga last night. And, and it was part of the reason they weren't able to get the ball to Timmy down low um, as much as they would have liked to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's completely it. And to your point on Baylor's defense as well, I mean, what, what another thing that Gonzaga struggled with so much was turnovers. And that's not do Like, we know how great they are with the ball with I.I. Nemhard and Suggs, basically three point cards out there for them at all times. Mm-hmm. Suggs wasn't really the problem here. Nemhard really struggled to hold on to the ball. I know he only had a couple turnovers, but he – it was just so bizarre to watch that ball just slip out of his hands. Timmy was a train wreck with the ball with, with five turnovers, which is just not something that we're used to seeing as well. One of the better, you know, post distributors we've seen. And again, I, I don't attribute that to Gonzaga. I put it all to Baylor. I mean, think about it. Gonzaga averaged 91 points per game this year. 
They were held to 70 in this game. Still 70, by the way, which for a lot of college basketball teams is really good. They finished with 70 points. That mm-hmm. is the lowest total Gonzaga has scored all season long. Isn't that incredible? Even against this Baylor defense? Yeah. But I, just this is all about the Baylor Baylors. This is all about Scott Drew. I, I, I will not accept any Mark Few slander today. <laughs> no, I won't either. And he is such a pro the way he handled it too. And everything he said about putting this in perspective. And when mm-hmm. he was asked about how he's going to talk to his Guys, you just talk about how you won 31 games this whole season in the COVID year. And I also will not tolerate anyone saying that Gonzaga wasn't tested this year because they played more out-of-conference competitive games than usual because I think they wanted to dispel that idea because it's been so prominent in these last few years as they've gotten better. And still the narrative is that they they have an easy way in. They've played UVA. Iowa, mm-hmm. Kansas, in the tournament, they played Evan Mobley and the Trojans and absolutely dismantled UNC. It wasn't even uh, USC. It wasn't even close. So this was not about Gonzaga choking. It wasn't about them losing steam. It wasn't about them not being emotionally ready. Baylor was just better. And it was a matchup between two of the best coaches and two of the best teams. Definitely. This was everything we could have hoped. I mean, just look at the talent that was on the floor in that four out of the five all tournament team yeah. were, were on Baylor and Gonzaga. You had <laughs> Sugg, Suggs and Timmy from Gonzaga, Mitchell and Butler from Baylor, and then Juzang from UCLA, which Juzang. had yeah. to be on there, of course, as well. That's how talented, you know, that this game was. And then I, I do want to touch on Butler as well, because I just this stat was too great to, to pass up. And as we said, we do want to praise Baylor here. Jared Butler is the first player in a college basketball championship game with 20 plus points and seven plus assists since Carmelo Anthony in 2003. As I said, I think Davion Mitchell for me was my most outstanding player just with the overall impact that he made on both sides of the floor. But Jared Butler's a star for Butler and what a for Butler for Baylor and what a, what an (laughs) incredible performance. I was making that mistake every single game saying Butler and Baylor. And CBS made it too last night. So that makes me not <laughs> yeah. feel as bad. <laughs> yeah. What I was going to say about this Baylor team too, we've mentioned it before depth mm. wins you games in this tournament and Baylor had depth. And that's not saying that Watson off the bench wasn't key for Gonzaga this entire season, or even, even cook had some valuable minutes when Suggs was in foul trouble, but Matthew Meyer, who is, Really, he's going to be the star of this team next year. I think you could confidently say him. Never never doubt a man with a mullet. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I personally am not in the mullet train, but we don't have to get into that. (laughs) Chuma Chachua was big. Flo Thamba had foul trouble early too. But Scott Drew has preached this all season long. Any guy can be the star on any given night, and it probably won't be the same guy two nights in a row. That's Mm -hmm. how good they are literally one through seven on this team and that's yeah, what Meyer, separates them Meyer had been had been a real factor all tournament long um yep. actually wasn't didn't have his best game last night but it didn't even matter they had uh Flager off the bench score 13 points yeah I didn't even mention him yeah, yeah he had a terrific game um off the bench and then yeah if you just look at the the bench points discrepancy gun uh Baylor came up with 21 off the bench compared to uh, compared to just seven for Gonzaga. So 14 point differential right there. Um, yeah, we knew that Gonzaga 
probably didn't have as much uh, depth as Baylor. It hasn't mm-hmm. mattered for them for most of the season. They're going to play their starters over 30 minutes um, most nights, and and they seem to be able to to handle that. Um, but you know, uh, it it definitely helps to especially when you have some foul trouble as Baylor was dealing with some foul trouble mm-hmm. um, last night, it definitely helped to be able to bring guys off the bench who were uh, able to contribute and, and hold their own. Yeah. And I think it actually is worth mentioning that Baylor had just as much foul trouble as Gonzaga did. Yeah. Suggs had it earlier, but Butler was down. Both of their big men were down in Chachua and yeah, Thamba. They mean. struggled. Yeah. All right. So I want to move on to some of the other stuff, but I think we, we did a very good job highlighting how good Gonzaga was all season long and then how Baylor was just the superior team in this game. Any other thoughts on this? No, I just think, uh, I just think Baylor, you know, they obviously deserve a ton of credit. Um, They, they, I think, you know, they, they were able to find their way back to the level of play where they were at before their COVID pause. They had that COVID pause. Mm -hmm. They came out after that COVID pause, lost two games. People were kind of down on them a bit. Um, and, and, you know, everyone was wondering if they were going to get back to that level they were at. Um, and I, I, I don't think they reached it until the tournament. But, you know, as the course of the tournament went on, they did get back to where they were, maybe even ahead of uh, the level of play. Certainly last night, I would say, is probably the best they've played all season. Um, so that, that was, I think, uh, something interesting to note, especially this in a year like this. Yeah, perfect timing for them. <laughs> Yeah, it really was. And also my wrap up. I mean, I'm just thankful we got here, you know, think of all the COVID problems that we've seen in college basketball. So to be able to get to a title game, I think is just a, you know, a great statement for what all of, you know, college athletics was able to do this year. And for Gonzaga looking forward, this is not the end for Gonzaga. Think about it. They've been in two of the last four title games. They are the favorite to get the number one recruit in the country that's available right now. I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Chet. Yes. Yes. I, I, Holmgren, Holmgren, I right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think so. So the Mark few is going to continue to build there. They're going to lose some guys to the draft, but they're not going to lose everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then for Baylor, I mean, think it, the winner last night was going to win their first NCAA tournament in, in college basketball in a year where Kentucky Duke, Carolina, Kansas were all down. I, I think we're moving into a pretty cool era here at college basketball. And I, I think I like Baylor that. did a beautiful way to top that off. Well said. And Scott Drew's story is phenomenal. Awesome, awesome guy. All right, cool. So let's move straight into our craziest numbers of the week now because they're pretty wide ranging. I'll start with mine. (laughs) Mine's about baseball, Pat's about baseball, and then Greg will finish us up with the Masters and a quick preview on that. My number, I don't think there is a different way to go here. It's about (laughs) Shohei Otani. Mine was initially too, remember, because you just had to go with Shohei. You had to. I, I'm going to go with one that I don't think you will have heard, though, because cool. you definitely have heard that he threw 101 miles per hour, and then I think his home run was 105 off the bat. Is that true? I think it was more than that. 115? I have 115 in my head. Yeah, yeah, 115. Oh, my God, I'm not even giving him, giving him enough credit. Come so on he now. pitches <laughs> a 101-mile-per-hour fastball, and then he hits – a ball 115 miles per hour off of his bat in the same inning. That is undeniably the craziest thing you've heard this week. But to go even deeper, I just want to talk about how talented Otani is as a pitcher. The craziest number I heard this week is 106. Because 
in his career, Otani has faced 106 left-handed hitters or left-handed hitters have had 106 career plate appearances against him. He has given up one extra base hit to those left-handed hitters. One, I think, and you've mentioned it before, Pat, I think the long-term reality for Otani is that he's going to have to transition to solely a hitter at some point, just the way his body's going to progress. But this guy is absolutely lethal on the mound with his velocity, which everybody's talking about, but also with all of his other stuff. And I think the best thing for baseball is for him to be on the mound, for Joe Madden to take him out earlier, and for MLB and ESPN to continue showing him on prime time because it's showtime. It's showtime. That is a perfect way to put it. Sunday night was fun, right? Like it was, it was real interesting going up to that game with the anticipation, knowing that he was pitching, he was hitting. Not only was he hitting, I believe it was the first time a pitcher hit first or second in the lineup in 118 years. Yeah, I believe was the, the number. Which yeah. is, it's just so crazy to think about. It's so awesome, as, as you said. We were saw him. We saw him throw a hundred. We saw him hit hundred and fifteen mile per hour. Was going to be my number when I was looking at him. Just you know that the exit velocity on that monster home run where he went up and got that that fastball. He is much must. I, wow, I, I'm so excited. I can't speak. Apparently, <laughs> he is must watch TV, and it was it was just incredible to watch. And I hope the sport continues to market him. Should he have been taken out earlier? Quick. <laughs> I'm okay with where he was. I, really? I, yeah, I, I'm I'm okay with it. And then now you just hope for the health. It sounds like he's okay, um, but obviously got spiked at the plate. Yeah, I actually was fine with him starting the fifth. I was fine him working with the bases loaded. But as soon as he threw that wild pitch that scored that first run, I would have yanked him right there. That's a good point. Yeah. But, you know, I, I, it's 2020 hindsight, obviously – the chances of him getting hurt on that one play, nobody could have anticipated. And I do think it's fine. I think, I, I think it came out that the reports were incorrect that he left due to injury. Yes. He left because he had just given up three runs. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think yeah. that's key. All right, what's your number, Pat? Sure. So yours is one that you don't think too many have heard. Uh, mine, many people have heard. And I had to. The reason I go to this number that many people have heard because – I'd be a liar if I didn't. Didn't we talk about last week about what my number was going to be if a certain contract was signed? I, I think we did. And oh, that, contract, yeah, did. that contract was signed. So, of course, my number is 341, which is the number. Oh, of my God. I forgot you said that. Oh, come on. I, I had to do it. We, we talked about it last week. I'm no liar. Uh, so $341 million over 10 years. That is the contract Francisco Lindor got at the 11th hour from the New York Mets. Uh, also interesting to note that is $1 million more million than Fernando Tatis Jr. got, which I think is a very important oh. thing to put out there as they are both <laughs> shortstops. Uh, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of years. I couldn't be more excited. I think the Mets have their cornerstone to build around. And, you know, as, as Francisco said in his press conference, here we go. Our resident Philly fan, your thoughts? Uh. You know, the, the, the Phillies-Mets, obviously, they got the series going on right now. Got off to a nice start uh, last night, Lindor. I, I would say brutal start, personally, but, you know, first, nice. Is first impressions way. of Lindor, <laughs> you know. Uh, struck out on three pitches, first at bat. Not Got to get that in there. But he uh, did have a second nice... pitch was inside, you know, if we want to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> he did have a nice single in the ninth inning. Things got a little dicey there. I was having flashbacks to last year's bullpen for the Phillies. Uh, so that was a little scary. But another game tonight for them. 
So it's been a, been a fun start to the year uh, in Philadelphia. It'll be quick. It'll be short-lived. That's what I think. No, I think – I actually that. think the number – is very important because it is more than Fernando Tatis and because we have such a loaded free agent shortstop class this year. If Fernando Tatis is setting the bar at 341 million, all those guys, Seager, Correa, Baez, Story, are going to be lower than him, but they are still going to make some serious, serious money for some serious years too. Yeah, and that's one of the things he said in his press conference that he was looking to set the market for for players to come. And listen, that's what he did at 10 years and 341. I've actually seen some projections say they think Seager has a chance to get more, which would be very interesting. I think he's got a chance to be around there. I'm not sure I'd give Seager more. But listen, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I know, that's what scares me. Um, But this winter is going to be a ton of fun to watch with the shortstop market. And as taking the analyst hat off and putting the fan on, I could not be happier that Francisco Lindor will not be available on that market. <laughs> yeah, Pat, as a fan, I'm happy for you. And I'm happy it got done before the season started so you didn't have to stress about it. And then at the deadline and all that, I think it was it was good for all parties. Uh, I do too. For for Lindor's side, I mean, that would have been a lot of money to to bet on yourself and pass up on. Yeah. How, how much more than 341 are you really going to get? Uh, and for the Mets, they lock up their superstar for a decade. So I, I cool. really think this deal's a win-win. And like Hembo said, now there's finally a star on the East Coast that people can invest in for 10 plus years. Uh, feels good. My fanatics. Uh, my... Sorry, Bryce Harper. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's true. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that guy over there. <laughs> Greg, what's your number? Well, I was going to transition us uh, a little bit to the Masters. I know that's what we're talking about next with my number. Um, Perfect. And my number is 17, and that is the number of uh, multiple-time Masters champions um, in Mm. history. So we've had 17 guys um, to win multiple Masters, and it kind of points to one of the themes that, that you have to look at when you're looking at guys that uh, you think are going to play well. And, and that's prior master's experience and prior master's success. Um, mm. Augusta national, it's a golf course more so than even most courses where you kind of have to play it a few times to get the, the hang of it before you start really having success there. Um, it's, it's not a course, you know, that's um, easily is open and available to play even to the PGA tour players. Um, like whenever they want, you know, I believe there's only two, uh, professional players that are even allowed to be members there. It's like Nicholas and someone, one of the other fam- most famous players. But so it's, you know, you only get the chance to play it once a year. And um, so it really helps to have that experience. And, and I think that's why you see a lot of guys win multiple times there, um, which uh, is something I think we should be looking for this week. So are you foreshadowing that you think DJ is going to be the back-to-back winner? Mm. <laughs> well, I don't know about necessarily back-to-back. I'm just saying, I think, I mean, I do think DJ has a great chance, but anyone, you know, anyone that's already won a yeah. Masters, I think automatically kind of vaults uh, up the, up the leaderboard in terms of their chances. <laughs> yeah, th- that's a fair point. So who are you looking at as some of the favorites in this tournament? I know, I know someone that people, a lot of people are going to be really interested in is DeChambeau. Because he talked a huge yeah. game going into the November Masters before being <laughs> eaten alive by Augusta. Yeah, that so, didn't work out for him. So no, uh, no, uh, not at all. So do you, do you think he follows it up with a, a stronger performance? Do you think Augusta just doesn't really suit his play style? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting question, and it, and it's going to be you know one of the 
the biggest storylines to watch this week. I, I do think he'll play better than uh, he did in November. Um, obviously, this is super unique, you know, to have five months in between Masters. Mm. It, it, it makes, you know, la- the, the results of last, the last Masters even more relevant because mm. only five months has passed since it instead of 12. So, you know, guys are kind of, that's still kind of fresh um, in everyone's, everyone's mind. But the Shambo, I do think he plays better than he did in November. Um, I, he's not one of my top guy, top picks to win, uh, just because, you know, the, the, the golf course, I don't think particularly suits him. Um, Augusta is a, is a second shot golf course. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, the, the greens at Augusta are among the most undulated. Um, you'll see there, there's, there's a lot of runoff um, in all directions off the greens. And so really, uh, when you're hitting your approach shots, you're you're trying to find really small sections of the green, really small targets. And so, you know, t- guys who typically have success at Augusta are elite iron players um, who are very accurate with their irons. That's why you've seen guys like Tiger Woods, who's the best iron player of all time, um, win six times at Augusta. So DeChambeau, I mean, although by no means is he a, a poor iron player, mm-hmm. I don't think that's the strength of his game, um, which is why I, I don't consider him – you know, he's not one of my, my main favorites this week, although, you know, it's never out of the question uh, for him to win with, with his kind of talent and, uh, and his distance does come in handy. And Augusta isn't that penal for um, uh, in terms of guys, in terms of missing the fairway, you know, you can spray the ball a little bit at Augusta and still have a chance. As I said, it's kind of about that second shot. So he's going to dominate the headlines no matter what. Right. I feel like at this point, yeah, there's that's already what he's videos been of doing. Him. There's already videos of him on the range, just absolutely them. It's crazy. going after. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can't you can't make this stuff up. The swing speed he's he's uh, playing with it's it's unbelievable. Yeah, and I think I mean he was ill during the last Masters. Yeah, he did say that. He did say he had That's some uh, some dizziness going on. Um, yeah, I read something that, was that a, a, I read something that he. Walking back, uh, walking back what he said before the tournament a little bit. I don't mm. know. Uh, but no, he, I mean, he, he may well have been experiencing that with the kind of uh, the kind of diet and uh, exercise regimen. Uh, he's he has, I imagine it, it probably has some effects on your body. So, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But, I mean, um, so I, I think he's going to be talked about no matter what. Somebody that I do think is worth mentioning, too, that I was going to ask you about, Greg, Brooks Kepka. Yeah. Because he's basically playing because I think he actually he posted it on his own Twitter, the meme of Michael Jordan saying, I took that personally. Because people were saying there was no way he was going to play three yeah. months removed from the injury. How is he going to do that? Yeah, so obviously, I mean, he hasn't played in, in a while. Kepka, obviously, since his surgery. Um, he, he's And it's no secret uh, that the knee is a problem, he said. He said himself that his only challenge this week is going to be walking. So um, when, he's, when you're having a hard important. time walking, it's hard to imagine uh, you competing in a golf tournament. And he, um, he also uh, a picture came of him reading a putt where he has like one leg stuck out to the side and one leg kneeling down. It's rather unusual, but apparently it's because he can't bend that knee um, like he typically would to read the green. So you might see some unusual uh, poses from Kepka this week. I just find it hard to imagine he has any kind of success if they, he's in that kind of pain. 
but mm-hmm. you know, Kepka really, really gears up for the majors. Um, it's really, he said himself that, you know, no other, no other tournaments really excite him or, or, yes. or get him uh, fired up to play golf that unset for the majors. So he, he doesn't want to miss one if he thinks he has any chance of playing it. So he's going to be um, interesting to watch, but I don't expect uh, too much from him this week. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think injury-wise, it's just so much to overcome. I, I don't have high hopes for him. And then one more, I think we'd be remiss to not mention it. You talk about multiple-time champions. Jordan Spieth's coming off of Valero Open win, his first win in a couple of years. Jordan Spieth yeah. won a Masters before. Is, yes. Jor- is Jordan Spieth going to be in the conversation here late on Sunday? I ab- absolutely think so. I, I oh, love I love Jordan it. This- I love it. I love Jordan this week. Um I mean, his game has been trending up since the Waste Management Phoenix Open back in January, where he shot a 61 in the third round. Ever since then, you know, he's been a lot more like the Jordan of old. He's collected um, a handful of top 10 finishes. Uh, three times um, has he, he was either sharing or held on his own the lead through 54 holes in his last six starts. And he finally converted that, converted that lead into a win. Um, at the, the Valero Texas Open this week, as you mentioned, Pat, um, getting that off his chest, I think, is, is a, really bodes well for him. I think, you know, it's tough to win your first tournament in four years and have it be the Masters. Mm. Um, <laughs> so to, to, because the pressure is just so much higher. So to get, he, he's got that win off now. You know, people aren't going to be talking about, oh my goodness, it's been four years since Jordan Spieth won. Um, and he's in, obviously in great form, you know that's another thing I always look at when, you know, making, uh, making picks of who I think is, is going to do well. It's what kind of form they're in coming in. And a uh, few guys are, are playing better right now than, than Jordan Spieth. It's a good golf course for him. Um, it, uh, he's, he's a strong putter and, and Augusta really requires you to putt the ball well. Um, so I think, I, I do think Jordan Spieth is going to be in the conversation. Um, I like that. For Perfect. sure. Sweet. And Jordan's uh, back. Yeah, a couple other, a couple other um, names. I think um, my two, my two top favorites are not, not really uh, going out on too much of a limb here, but you have to say Dustin Johnson and mm-hmm. uh, John Rahm are my yeah. two, top two guys. I think this week, DJ obviously the defending champion. He's come in the top ten the last five Masters, which is unbelievable Incredible. streak. Um, he's absolutely dominated that golf course. Finally got his first green jacket. Last November, um, he hasn't been playing his best golf of late, but, you know, DJ's standards are uh, pretty much ab- above um, most players. So even his, even his mediocre golf is pretty good for a lot of guys. So he, he, I, don't, I wouldn't read too much into his, you know, recent uh, mediocre finishes. He's going to be geared up for this week. Um, I'm sure he's done a ton of preparation. Um, he's, taken, he's taken a little bit. Of, he took last week off to prepare, as a lot of guys did. Um, so I think uh, he obviously has a great chance. And then John Rahm, um, I think is also a great chance. He's come in the top 10 in the last three masters. Um, he's obviously not, hasn't yet won a major, but he's really been knocking on the door, especially at Augusta. Um, it's a great, great golf course for him. And he has, you know, the, for a long time, it looked like, uh, for a while, it looked like he might have to actually pull out in the middle of, uh, the masters. His, his wife, um, actually just gave birth to their first child last Sunday. I think she was, her due date was during the masters. And Rama had said, if, 
um, if she was going to have the baby then that he was going to just pick up, pack his bags and leave. But now that the baby, the baby's come, um, Ram should be able to play the full week. And, um, he, you know, it's, uh, he, he said last Sunday was the best day in his life. And there's no. a chance this, this Sunday could uh, be the second best if he's able to put on that green jacket. I like that. I, I love that. That's perfect. And Greg, I agree with you. Just to go on record for me, I'm going with John Rom to win this Masters. I, I, you, I like that pick. Yeah, you, you, the stat is exactly the one that I had written down. Top 10s in his last three, as you said, you know, some having been played Augusta and played well there, I think that bodes well. The biggest thing for him is, how much sleep's the poor man going to get this week being a new father? So. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. He better, he better hope the, uh, the baby's sleeping in another room. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going with Rama. I love that analysis. That's a legitimate concern. I think yeah. that's actually serious. No, he, yeah. he probably has had a, a exhausting week and, you know, yeah. he just, I'm sure he didn't get to Augusta as early as he usually uh, would have, but you know, it could help, um, you know, free up his mind. He's got his mind on other things could mm-hmm. help. Um, alleviate some of the pressure and nerves um you typically feel not that that's uh, much of an issue usually for a guy of john rom's caliber but might get, be enough to get him over the hump um yeah. and then in terms of just a couple names before before we go um under the you know kind of under the radar names that you might um that i could see having a good week this week one guy I like is paul casey mm-hmm. um he's been he's been a real um stalwart at the masters and he's had a terrific season this far. He has six career top tens at Augusta. Um, he's having a really nice season so far. Great iron player, good course for him. Uh, Matt Kuchar is another guy who's started to play well. He had been uh, in a real slump for a while, but turned it around at the uh, match play a couple of weeks ago where he uh, made it to the, the final four and ended up with a third place finish winning the consolation match. Uh, Kuchar has had some success at the Masters before and seems to be coming on. Right now, Corey Connors, um, the Canadian, has been playing really great golf, um, is, is also a tremendous Irons player. And then the 2017 champion, Sergio Garcia, um, has, has had a strong start to the spring. And he's, as I said, he's a past champion. I, I like past champions uh, at Augusta. So he is another guy a little bit further down the world rankings uh, to keep an eye on. So it should be a great week. Um, it's amazing to have a second, second masters. So soon. Definitely. Yeah. So soon uh, after. And you didn't, you didn't mention my guy, Colin, my picks. Colin. Oh, okay. All right. I actually do have something on Colin. Colin. I think Colin is a really interesting case because um, as I said, how important the approach shots are at Augusta, no one is better at approach shots on tour this season than Colin Morikawa. Colin has gained 1.23 eight strokes per round this year across 32 measured rounds this season um, on his approaches on the field, which is the top mark on tour. So anyone who hits his irons like Colin, you have to give a chance at Augusta. The reason why I'm a little reluctant to take him as a favorite is his inexperience there. This is only his second Masters. It's his first April Masters, having played the one last November. Um, And so, you know, you tend to need a little bit more experience at Augusta to do well. Not that that rules Colin out, but um, I think it does, you know, undermine his chances just a little bit. But the course is apparently playing as firm and fast as ever. I think it's going to be a challenging week um, if the, I mean, the greens greens stay firm and we, there's no rain. Um, I think we can expect scores to be 
uh, you know, not quite, not nearly as low as they were in November. Um, so, you know, you get, you get yourself to seven, eight, nine under par, you you start to have a, a chance to win this golf tournament, I think. Yeah. It only takes one person, one inexperienced person to change the tide. You're so right. I'm all in on Colin and I'm going to no, go back to what you said when he wins. Not a bad pick. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't know if you guys uh, had anything else that you wanted to, to mention, uh, but. Um, I wanted to throw Ram out there as my pick. Emma, you want to go Morikawa? Yeah, I'm going to go Morikawa, but I, I am going to be rooting for Spieth. I think yeah, golf is better be when story. Spieth is good and Spieth is back. Not Tiger Woods level, obviously, <laughs> but I think a lot of people are going to be watching if Jordan Spieth is competing on Sunday. Yeah, Spieth and DeChambeau seem to be the uh, real names that draw yeah. all the fans these days. So. Yeah, cool. That'd be awesome. All right, well, Greg, that was incredible. Thank you for all of that info. We can't wait to watch, obviously. Absolutely. Pat, I'm pretty sure our second episode ever was after DJ won the last Masters. I believe you are correct. That was a very fun episode to do. Yeah. Second one we ever did, I'm pretty sure. So that's funny. But let's go. As we're talking about golf, go ahead, Greg. No, I was going to say before, before we go, I had a, a little um, self promo to throw out there. Please oh do. yeah, no, we're, we're not going yet. We're going to, uh, we'll do best of first. Okay. So while we're talking about golf, Greg, like I mentioned at the beginning was our first ever review and he threw out our best of today. He wants to talk about best of golf courses, ones that you've played on, ones that would, you'd like to play in. You can talk about tournaments if you like to. But Greg, why don't you start? Sure. So I guess um, I'll start with the, the best golf course I've played. Um, and that would be Marion East. I was able to get on there one time um, through a friend, um, which was just an amazing experience. Obviously hosted a number of U.S. Opens, last one in 2013. Um, you know, they got the wicker basket flag, uh, flag sticks. Um, it's just such an amazing, amazing um, environment and uh, experience just to be, be out there. So that was really cool. Um, but in terms of my favorite uh, course to watch, uh, it's hard to pick anything other than Augusta. I mean, <laughs> especially Augusta in the spring, the azaleas out. Um, it's such a pristine golf course. Um, the conditions are just unrivaled in terms of uh, you know, how, how the, how firm, how, how lush the, the fairways are, the rough. Um, yeah. So I, I, I would say Augusta is definitely my favorite course to, to watch on TV. Um, Marion is my favorite one I've played myself. Cool. Cool. Wow. That, so that... I, I cannot say, Pat, go ahead. I would say, do you want to go? Yeah. I was going to say my, my playing experience is incredibly limited so i <laughs> cannot even begin to talk about the courses that i've played on besides the one across the street that is public fairchild wheeler in, in connecticut to be precise but my favorite one to watch that i have been to is tpc river highlands i think it's in cromwell connecticut so it, it's a home home state for me it's where the travelers championship is it's so fun i've been twice over the summer it's just cool to be there. It's cool to see all the fans, the waters there, super pretty. It's always super warm. And you get a lot of big names every single year. So I've been able to follow Kepka, 
Jason Day, Bubba Watson. That's always a cool summer summer experience. That's the uh, the site of the lowest ever round recorded on the PGA Tour, 58 Jamie. by Jim Furyk. Nice nugget. That is a nice nugget. And I'll, I'll take it as just a favorite place to watch tournament. And for me, it is Harbortown down there for the, mm. the RBC, which will oh, be actually next. Yeah. Next week. Very, very excited about that. I just, I love the course. I love that. It's kind of, you know, put in through through the suburbs. Of course you have the, the lighthouse. It's just, it's an awesome tournament. I, I love Hilton head uh, personally. So then to be able to add in that, that course of such a great golf course down there and such a fun tournament, Harbortown RBC has got to be my number one. You'll be there next weekend, right? I will. You going down? Uh, not for the golf, unfortunately, oh, okay. though I will happen to be there the same weekend that it's there. So kind of kind of hurt that I'll be probably like 20 minutes from it going on. Um, um, I know. And then I, I was there for it last year. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, didn't you have that set up where you were in a, a backyard? You could kind of see uh, yeah, it wasn't, some of the action. Yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't a bad setup. Uh, I will say there were no that. fans last year. Yep, but, were, yep, but were... I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, then, cool. and then I'll be back down there again in a couple of months again. Because, yeah, Hilton Head's like my favorite. So add in such a gorgeous golf course. Nothing beats Harbortown for me. Nice. Yeah, so we had, we had baseball ballparks last week and now golf courses. It's pretty cool. A scenery thing. And then, Greg, before we outro – we have a special announcement. So we had the 2000 downloads that we wanted to start with. And then to end with Pat and I will no longer be doing the Villanova basketball recap episodes for obvious reasons. We were having withdrawal doing only one episode <laughs> a week. So our special announcement is that starting this week, the did you hear podcast will now be a twice weekly show. We will drop two episodes a week. One will be one like this. Well, we're, We'll sometimes have a guest. Otherwise, it would just be doing general sports interviews, etc. And then the second episode that week, the same week, will be solely baseball. We're gonna create, come up with a creative name. We're still sleeping on it. Still Don't working worry. on it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but we're gonna talk all baseball. We're gonna zero in on some interesting trends, interesting players, interesting coaches, even everything that's going on. So make sure to. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And all the baseball fans, let's get ready for an awesome season. I cannot wait to start these up and, and really exciting to be able to focus on baseball and do a very similar to Villanova recap type episode, except focus on baseball and what, what we've seen from the week that was and maybe a little bit for the week that's coming up. So cannot wait to get started on that. Yeah, and we've had a good opening weekend so far. Hopefully it continues to trend smoothly and normally in that direction, especially since the Nationals and your boy, Pat, Juan Soto just mm. walked off the Braves as we are recording. I so can't believe you cool. just said that because that is exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> yep. so, Good uh, start for Juan Soto. You're Braves, MVP. I own four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that definitely doesn't make me upset. I'll put it that way. Yeah. All right. So, Greg, thank you so much for coming on. Tell people where they can find you and also where they can find your golf blog. Yeah, so um, definitely – uh, if you're a golf fan out there, definitely check out my golf blog. I have weekly posts um, where I kind of recap uh, the action each week, some of the news, names, stats um, that most stood out to me. It's called Forward Press, F-O-R-E-W-O-R-D space press. Um, so Love you can find that if you, if you search me on Google. Um, uh, it's forward-press.com. And then I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. On Twitter, it's at 4-F-O-R-E-Press. 
and on Instagram for F-O-R-E underscore word underscore press. So give me a follow um, and definitely check it out if you're, uh, if you're into, into some, hearing about some golf action. It's a good week for it. Oh, yes, Big it week is. for the blog. First major <laughs> uh, since the blog was started uh, back in February. So we're excited cool. to, uh, for that. Yeah, re- really exciting. There's some really good content on there and, and we hope everyone goes and checks it out. Yeah, thanks, guys. Of course. All right, that'll wrap it up for us then here on the Did You Hear podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes and follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode. Leave us a rating as well as it really helps us out. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Did You Hear Pod. Let us know what you think, and we are super excited to bring some baseball to you later this week. So for Greg and Emma, Emma, that's a wrap. 